This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Wow, an audience is back. Social distance, of course. Of course. Usually I can fit about 2,000 fans in my basement bleachers, but this is still great. (laughs) This is episode 67, the 14th part of the 100-miler history. In this episode, I will tell the story of one of the greatest 100-mile races in history that took place in England. I will also introduce you to one of my ultra-running heroes, who sadly has been mostly forgotten, Tom Osler from New Jersey. A year ago, I was approached about taking over the leadership of the American Ultra Running Hall of Fame from legendary Dan Brannan. That transition happened this week, and I'm excited to keep it going with the help of Steeltown runner Paul Kenter. Visit the hall at ultrarunninghistory.com. In the next episode, I will announce the 2020 inductee. Now to the story. During the early 1970s, several highly competitive 100-mile races had been held in England, but they were still only organized for attempts to break British or world records. In 1975, another classic race was held, perhaps the greatest and most competitive 100-mile races ever held. It left one reporter speechless, witnessing something that he would never forget, watching some of the fastest 100-mile runners ever and experiencing the sportsmanship of ultra-running for the first time. This story will be told. What was the state of 100-mile races in 1975? Well, in America, 100-mile races were being held open to anyone who wanted to give them a try, even the naive. In 1975, the annual Camellia 100 held in the Sacramento, California area was held for the fifth year. But the oldest annual American 100-miler that tends to be forgotten was the Columbia 100-mile walk held in Columbia, Missouri. In 1975, it was held for the ninth year. There had been 23 sub-24-hour 100-mile finishes in its history. But this was nothing compared to Great Britain. There, 100-mile walking races had been held annually since 1946 for 30 years with more than 450 finishes in less than 24 hours. Elsewhere around the world, 100-mile and 24-hour races were also being competed, including the first one to be held inside the Soviet-controlled Iron Curtain in Czechoslovakia. October 25, 1975, at the Tipton Sports Union Stadium in England, the British Roadrunners Club put on the accolade 100-mile race that has been called the greatest 100 miles by World Ultra-Running History Authority Andy Milroy. Why was it so significant? Well, the 100-miler was an invitation-only race 
and 18 competitors were carefully selected out of a large group who were interested. All were very experienced ultra runners, but only a few had actually finished a 100 miler. The most experienced 100 mile runner was Ron Bentley, the current 24 hour world record holder with 161 miles. See episode 65. But Bentley was hampered by a recent groin injury. Kevin Woodward, born in 1947, was an accountant from Witness, England. He started running at the age of 16 in 1963 when he joined the Leamington Cycling and Athletics Club. He took up marathon running in 1971 because he felt sorry for Leamington's veteran marathoner, Tom Buckingham, age 53, who seemed like he was always the only club member competing in marathon events. Other club members soon also joined in, and some moved up to ultras, competing at London to Brighton, 52 miles. At first, Woodward competed in races more for enjoyment than for winning. He said, But my wife Carol changed that. She was fed up with coming to watch and see me not do very well. So she mapped out a training schedule for me and made sure that I kept to it. It proved a great incentive because Carol comes to watch all my races and gives me encouragement. Wow, winning! Woodward ran his first London to Brighton in 1971 and finished 17th. I was more interested in finishing than my final position. His best marathon time was achieved that year with 2.19. In 1972, Woodward became a star distance runner and finished third at London to Brighton. By 1974, he was racing nearly every week from 5K upwards. He found that running competitive events was far more rewarding than slogging out miles in training stints, but still trained about 70 miles per week. It was said of Woodward, He is the man who runs marathons as often as most folk exercise their dog. Most distance runners are content to run a couple or perhaps three marathons a year. Woodward reckons to run one every other week. By 1975, Woodward was winning nearly every long race he finished. In April, he set the world record for 30 miles at Ewell of 2 hours 43 minutes. In August, he won the classic Two Bridges race, 36 miles, in Scotland. In September, Woodward ran again at London to Brighton. From the start, he went out fast, grabbed the lead, running 10 miles in just 55 minutes. I felt that if I wanted to run the event, I would have to be three minutes ahead of the opposition after 30 miles. In fact, I was four minutes up on them. But even at that stage, I couldn't relax. There were 24 South Africans in the field of 100, and I didn't know what they were capable of doing. I always start fast, but for all I knew, they could have been strong finishers. He won, finishing only a minute off the course record. He had finished on the podium for this international race for four years in a row. There was no doubt that he was the most dominant ultra runner in the world in 1975. Runner Martin Thomas wrote of Woodward, he is 28 years of age, about 5 foot 8 in height, and weighs 130 pounds, enjoys his running, trains twice a day, 3 miles in the morning and 10 miles in the afternoon, with a pace varying between 6 and 7 minutes a mile. He is a prolific racer, with rarely a weekend away from competing cross-country, road, track, and a few cycling races thrown in when light on for running races. 
1975, Woodward turned his attention to getting ready to run the Accolade 100. The 100-mile world record at that time was 11 hours, 56 minutes, held by Derek Key of South Africa. See episode 65. Woodward knew that, and while planning for the race, examined Key's splits from his record-setting run. He decided that he would stick with his own strategy of going out fast as long as he could. No matter what pace you start at, you will slow eventually. So start at a fast pace, which will give you momentum. The reason why I go out in front is because I want to run my own race. If you are in a bunch and the front runners stop, you have to chop your stride. In front, I can speed up when I feel like it and do what I want to do. But Woodward had never run beyond 52 miles and had his doubts whether he could even hang on to reach 100 miles. For the 6 a.m. start of the Accolade 100, it was reported, A dull and misty dawn broke to reveal a scene reminiscent of some medieval tournament with brightly colored tents that would shelter the many handlers ready to bring aid to the present-day warriors who would be fighting out on the yielding but soft cinder track. When the race started, Woodward took off like a marathon runner, a speed that appeared to surprise the timekeepers and recorders as they sat in their drafty stand. He reached the marathon mark in 2 hours 31 minutes. Wow. With a lead of more than 16 minutes. Woodward continued to cruise way ahead of the field and reached 50 miles in a world record time of 4 hours 58 minutes, the first ever to break the 5-hour barrier. He overheard someone remark, He will now drop out somewhere in the race, so who will break the 100-mile record? That bugged him. He continued on strong, but did relax a bit, but soon built up a 34-minute lead over the next runner. He continued on at a blistering pace and broke the 100-kilometer world record with a time of 6 hours 25 minutes, beating the previous mark by 25 minutes. But then he started to slow and by 80 miles his buffer on the world record was narrowing. Other runners shouted encouraging words to him. A reporter wrote about what he witnessed. Never will I forget the sight of Woodward responding to the urging, not only of his own supporters, but to the wholehearted backing of the spectators. Head lolling to one side for mile after mile, he carried the crowd with him. For me, this was a new and wonderful kind of sportsmanship. Runners spurring each other on in spite of knowing that the man they were trying to help might finish in front of them. The spirit filled the reception area as runner after runner staggered toward the finish. Despite his struggles, Woodward broke the 150-kilometer world record with a time of 10 hours 44 minutes and then, with the end in sight, picked up the pace. His last mile was clocked in 7 minutes and 7 seconds. He crushed the 100-mile world record with a time of 11 hours, 38 minutes, breaking Kay's existing world record by 18 minutes. After finishing, Woodward was overcome with emotion and had, quote, a bit of a sob. He was hustled from the track to an ambulance. He explained, I was okay. They just wanted to get me away from the well-wishers and let me rest. The second place runner finished with an outstanding time of 12 hours and 2 minutes. What made this 100 mile race so great was that 11 runners finished in less than 15 hours. 
Woodward looked back on the accomplishment and said, I proved that it could be done. I hope I have altered the outlook of some runners. I hope I proved that running even paced is not the only way of winning races and breaking records. I would like to think that if a runner wants to try and run ultras fast right from the start, against the wishes of his coach or trainer, he could convincingly argue that that was the way Cavan Woodward did it. Woodward finished without any significant injury, but said from home the next day, I'm very stiff and aching all over, but considering I had never run further than 53 miles before, I felt great. He recovered fast and ran with his club in races the following weekend. Woodward continued to run ultras at a world-class level into his 50s until 1998. He ran more than 200 marathons or longer during his life and accumulated a collection of 600 trophies and medals. Kevin Woodward died suddenly of a heart attack in 2010 at the age of 63. In 1968, the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia. Prior to that, marathon runners had been participating in running events in Western Europe. Ivo Domanski, a marathoner who became an ultra runner, shared what life was like for an ultra runner during the early 1970s. Around the end of 1971, normalization in the then Czechoslovak Socialist Republic came to a close, and as for trips to capitalist foreign countries, it became increasingly difficult to travel there. In 1973, Domanski managed to get the approval of the Tourism Association to go and compete in one of the several 100-kilometer races that were beginning to be held in Europe. He went to run in the 100K race in Denmark, a road race in its second year. Many of these European 100Ks were both hikes and runs that would attract hundreds and even more than 1,000 walkers. These long-distance walkers were called tourists. Also with him was Rutislav Malata, who would be one of the greatest Czech ultra-runners of the time. For both of them, this was their first 100K. In Copenhagen, they stayed in a large sports hall with sleeping bags. At the start, about 100 runners, an additional 1,400 walkers, took off in Copenhagen, going along the coast and running through Kronberg Castle, the setting for Shakespeare's Hamlet. Domanski recalled, To this day, I see in my mind a wreath of lights on the opposite Swedish bank, on the Straits of Orsund. We ran most of the 100 kilometers at night. Mulata finished in second place with an amazing 8 hours 45 minutes, and Domanski finished in sixth with 9.28, a great showing against the Danes. A couple years later, they were also able to run in a 100K at Biel, Switzerland, with 2,500 runners and walkers. This race had been held since 1959. Domanski finished 8th in 8 hours and 3 minutes. It had a completely different atmosphere than Copenhagen. On Friday at 10 p.m., about 2,500 runners and tourists gathered at the start. The 100K course in Beale was a large circuit without elevation gain, especially the difficult night section along the banks of the Ara River, which the local marathons nicknamed Ho Chi Minh Trail. 
Ultra marathons started to be held in Czechoslovakia in 1974, including a 50K on a cross-country ski course in the Jezera Mountains and a 100K road race held in Liberec. But the big event was held on September 19, 1975. It was a 24-hour race held in Dobrosi, Czechoslovakia. The road course consisted of a 100K loop along with a 1km out and back. There were 56 runners, including four women, the best ultra runners in Czechoslovakia, and a few others from Eastern European countries competed. The star of the event was Bratislav Molata, age 33. Molata reached 100 miles in 16 hours 41 minutes and went on to win with 133 and a half miles. 20 runners reached 100 miles in this first modern era 24-hour race held in Eastern Europe in Soviet-controlled territory. Malata was a very gifted ultra-runner, but left the sport two years later. Domanski said, It is an internal pity that he ended the sport prematurely. Tom Osler of Camden, New Jersey was born in 1940. He had an important place in 100-mile history because of his training theories and his 1976 24-hour run in New Jersey, bringing focus on ultra-running in that state. Of his youth, he said, I was a sickly little kid at 12 or 13 and didn't have many friends. This annoyed me, so I decided to leap headfirst into every sport there was. I was terrible. I came home night after night looking like an ad for the Blue Cross. Osler was an excellent student, but purposely lowered his grades for a while in order to fit in as a, quote, regular guy. Then the gang in his neighborhood picked up distance running as that day's form of athletic torture. Osler jumped in headfirst and started to run. When he was 14 years old, he had dreams that he would be the first person to break the four-minute mile. He did a test mile run and finished in six hours, 30 minutes. In 1954, England's Roger Bannister was the first to break the four-minute mile, and Osler's dream was crushed. He started to train hard and at Camden High School was on the track team. His best mile was four hours, 54 minutes, which was disappointing to him, but he was one of the best high school milers in Camden. He finished his first marathon when he was 16 years old with a time of 327. Osler loved running and found time during his busy college life to also be deeply involved with road running. In 1959, he helped found the Roadrunners Club of America and was its first co-secretary. He ran multiple times a month in many shorter races in Philadelphia and throughout New Jersey. Osler said, At the time, you only ran in a proper athletic setting. You ran in a park or on a track. You certainly never ran in the streets. If you did, you were stared at by everybody. Yes, he ran on the roads. Other runners would ask me, how did you stand the ridicule? My answer was that I simply ignored it. Frequently, he was stopped and questioned by police while running, thinking he was running to try to get away after doing some crime. Once, he was even pulled into a patrol car. He popped out of his car like a jack-in-the-box and tackled me. Are you detaining me? Is that what we're doing? Absolutely. Oh, don't grab me. Before I knew what was happening, I was in the car beside him. For his first six years of serious running, he raced at every opportunity. But overtraining started to plague him. I had a sciatic nerve condition that left me unable to walk. I still remember going out to train and going so slowly due to hip pain that even the dogs looked at me puzzled. 
They couldn't decide if I was running or not, and were confused as to whether to chase me. I soon figured out that rest and healing was just as important as training. In 1963, after reading Running to the Top by Arthur Lediard, he adopted the method of slow training and took his first giant leap forward. He started to run steady miles, often reaching 70 to 75 miles a week, much of it on the road. As he coached himself, some wins started to come, and he finished the 1964 Boston Marathon in 2 hours 47 minutes. Osler became lifelong friends with future ultra-running legend Ed Dodd in the early 1960s when Dodd was still in high school. They would do long training runs together. In 1965, at the age of 25, Osler was, quote, beaten soundly by Dodd, age 19, who became captain of the St. Joseph University cross-country team. This increased Osler's motivation and he said, The old competitive zeal was put into high gear. He raced nearly every weekend and won about 30 races in 1965 for distances from 3 to 15 miles, both on roads and cross-country. In 1966, Osler became a math instructor at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia and continued his prolific racing and winning. In 1967, he set his marathon personal best at Boston, finishing 16th with a time of 2 hours 29 minutes. In 1967, Osler was inspired by Ted Corbett to give ultra marathons a try. He began doing 50-mile training runs from Collingwood to Atlantic City, New Jersey. Confident that he could do well, he began preparing to run in the 50-mile national championship to be held in November 1967. He ran every afternoon after classes covering 75 to 80 miles a week and averaging 7.5-minute miles. The first modern-era American 50-mile championship was held in Poughkeepsie, New York. There were 13 starters, including legendary and future 100-mile world record holder John Tarrant, the ghost runner who came from England to run. See episode 63. On race day, Osler, age 27, took control of the 50-miler early and even led Tarrant. The last 40 miles were run in a steady downpour of freezing rain. I felt perfect for the first 41 miles, like I had just started. Then a slow weariness set in. It got worse as I went along. It was cold, but my main worry was that it might freeze. Osler won in 5 hours 52 minutes, beating Tarrant by about 10 minutes. The 50-miler took a toll on Osler. His legs were stiff and tired for several weeks after that, and he did not like feeling so shattered. I felt sick and weak. I became gun-shy and did not enter another 50-miler until 1974. In 1967, Osler privately published 2,000 copies of a 29-page training guide booklet entitled The Conditioning of Distance Runners. This would be the first of several books he authored on running training theory and practices. It was trailblazing and is still referenced to decades later. He later was a strong advocate of the value of walking and training and running on soft surfaces like trails rather than roads. In 1976, at the age of 36, Osler wanted to prove out his running-walking theory by running 100 miles on the track at Glassboro State College where he was teaching. He decided to do a 24-hour run on the outdoor quarter-mile track. 
I decided on a ratio of seven laps running to one lap of walking. I wanted to stay fresh and feel good for the entire day. Osler had never run further than 60 miles in races or training, so he was interested to find out if he could reach 100 miles with a walk-running mixture. I'm not trying to break any speed records. In this kind of race, you can slow down, stop to eat or drink, or even take a nap. But you don't go too far if you nap. Osler did not sleep at all the night before. He couldn't wait to get on the track. He started at 5 a.m. on the cold, clear December morning. It was about 20 degrees. He wore a hat, gloves, and ski pajamas to cover his legs. Several friends started with him and ran portions of the distance through the day, including this college president. Gradually, the light of dawn spread over the cinder track. I have thought before the run of the great beauty of watching the sun rise and set, and the night close in darkly while the running went ever on. I did my best to relax and stay fresh. Osler reached 50 miles in 8 hours, 8 minutes, feeling good. The sun set at the 70 mile mark. Many students arrived to run with him. At 80 miles I began to grow weary. For the first time I was no longer comfortable. I really wanted to stop and take a rest, but I thought it unwise. He recovered at 95 miles and finished strong, reaching 100 miles in 18 hours, 19 minutes. The college president and reporters were there to offer congratulations. He stopped for a rest and a warm spaghetti dinner and a 10-minute nap. After the break, he couldn't get himself to run at all and proceeded to walk for the remaining time, covering 114 miles before he was done. He was delighted to discover that his post-race recovery produced no leg stiffness. Corbett told him that it was because of his frequent walks. I now knew how the great pedestrians of the past century had achieved seemingly impossible mileage. Two years later, Osler ran 100 miles again at the 1978 Fort Meade 100 and won with 16 hours and 11 minutes. He went on to run and race competitively for the next couple of decades. In 1980, Osler was inducted into the Roadrunners Club of America Hall of Fame. By 2011, Osler had run an estimated 90,000 miles and run more than 2,000 races. He continued to run in a race nearly every week until he fell and broke his hip, which was replaced in 2017, requiring him to stop running. In 2020, Osler was 80 years old and still teaching math at Glassboro, now called Rowan University, with a teaching career of more than 54 years. So here I was, a senior at Drexel, and they said to me, uh, how would you like to teach calculus? So I said, gee, I always wondered what it was like to do that. So I walked into a calculus course for the first time, and after the first week, I knew I was going to be a college professor, because this was just, this was just me. That's what I wanted to do. After Ron Bentley's 1973 24-hour record of 161 miles was published in the Guinness Book of World Records, naive but determined runners sought to break it. In Martinsville, Indiana, an ex-Marine, Robert L. Danatelli, aged 23, set off on July 1, 1975, planning to run 200 miles in 24 hours. With permission from the state police, he started his run on Interstate 74 at 8 a.m. After two hours, a white unmarked car rolled past him near Brownsburg. 
A voice over the public address system on the car warned him to get off the highway. Danatelli said he kept running, but the car came by a second time, and the voice said if he was seen again, he would go to jail. Danatelli took the warning seriously, stopped his run, and called for a ride. He later called the police, but they checked their records and had no units in the area at the time. They said next time they would give him a written authorization to carry. So one week later, he tried again, this time with a state police escort from Indianapolis to Peoria. But he only made it to 45 miles because of a muscle pull that occurred around mile 20. The leg finally stiffened up when he stopped to rest at a service station near him. He was then taken to the hospital for treatment. If he would have continued, Illinois State Police were ready to stop him from running on Interstate 74 in their state. Breaking a true world record was harder than it sounded. He did not make another attempt. Stay tuned for more 100 Mile History. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs> <laughs>